No, no, I, I just finished a cup of <coughs> coffee. I don't need any more. I'm just trying to figure it out. I'm going, you know, lately I, I don't, I never know about what I'm going to do. Yeah, I'm right there with you. We have one God. We are in communion with Him. Isn't that great to know? Okay, we are in Acts chapter 5. And we have seen that the uh, apostles were arrested. And then they were kind of let loose supernaturally. Went out, preached the Word of God. Again, went right back to the temple that morning and started preaching. They're brought right back into uh, kind of a custody, very peaceful-like. And uh, there are a lot of people mad at them as far as the Pharisees and Sadducees are concerned, the leaders, the rulers. They don't know what to do with them. And uh, so there they are. And, of course, Peter gets one more shot in of uh, preaching Christ, Christ uh, crucified, Christ resurrected. And uh, he is the prince and the savior, and he's the one who grants repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And, uh, of course, Peter and the apostles were eyewitnesses of that. And, of course, uh, as a result of that, you get a response uh, from them. And we get other responses from different people also. People need to be convicted, though, of facts. And we know that uh, people are uh, convicted of uh, sin of righteousness, righteousness of Christ, and the judgment to come, which is inevitable. Now, this is a true conviction. And the conviction is based on theology. It's not just some kind of emotional response. You know, People can get emotional over maybe the way something has been presented. But this is all based on theology. He gave them the story and what the gospel is. And that's what you find in Peter's messages. And that's what you find all throughout Scripture, isn't it? Um, he convicts man, and I say he, uh, Holy Spirit, that's his job, in his mind. That's where it starts. So if proper theology is given, if a proper Word of God is giving, then you have uh, a mental understanding of that. And then after that, you do get a response. And of course, it is to lead one to a life of faith. That's what we want. That's what we're really after. Uh, but it's very convicting stuff that, that is happening. And when you look at Acts 5, uh, at the end of it, and even moving into chapter 6, we get to see these reactions. And um, whenever there is conviction, it will absolutely produce results. And that's what we'll be looking at. Let's pray. Father, we thank You. Thank You for who You are. Thank You for You being that one God. Thank You for that communion of the triune God. And because of Your sweet communion that You have, perfect communion in the Trinity, we also, who are being conformed to the image of Christ, have um, a relationship with this triune God and we've been brought into unity with You. Thank You, Lord, for that. It's all Your work. What a magnificent thought it is. And because of that, we have unity with the rest of the body of Christ and to be able to share together who You are and be able to grow and be able to um, uh, be edified so that we would uh, be able to glorify You 
And Lord, uh, we just look to you for your Holy Spirit to um, convict us of your truth and to be able to respond in the way that uh, we should, all by your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the, verse 33 is where we left off last week, so we'll uh, just kind of touch on that a little bit. It's the, it's the first response after this. But when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. That's their response. Uh, they're so mad. They are so cut to the quick, shredded in half, ripped, uh, a violent reaction, and they're just hardened. And that's what unbelief does. It, it, it hardens uh, one, and um, one can be so calloused. And ungodly people do not like to face godliness. And, of course, the Word has been presented and it's come from this godly uh, group of apostles and other Christians. And so they're, they're cut. They cut to the heart. They want to kill them. Isn't that absolutely ridiculous? I mean, they cannot deny the fact that there have been miracles right in the streets of Jerusalem for all to see, and they knew about it. They saw them. And people were bringing the the sick, the lame, uh, the blind, bringing them to them in the streets just to get a little look at them. And um, everybody was getting healed. And here you have these men who saw it. They heard the truth. And and it's like, how can they deny it? But um, that's what hardness will do. Hardness of unbelief. And, of course, we know they add to their sin by killing the very messengers who bring the good news for them so they can get forgiveness. And this is nothing new. This happened all the way through the Old Testament. And, of course, Jesus talked about the prophets that came to them. And, of course, the prophets were killed, weren't they? Because they brought the the truth to them. And, of course, Christ, we know what they... Uh, wanted to do with him. How about Paul? Paul was like one of these guys. He wanted to kill too, didn't he? He was part of the killing. And then in Acts 9, verse 22 and 23, and only God can do this, change a man around who had such a hard heart, and by the way, all do already have a hard heart. It has to be open. has to be made fertile. God's the one who does that that opens the heart. 22, um, Acts 9, but Saul kept increasing in strength. This is after he's been been converted now, right? After he has been responsible for persecution of the Christians. Increased in strength and confounded the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah. He was proving to them through Scripture. And then look at this, verse 23. When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. That's Saul, is Paul. Um, just like they wanted to do with Peter, of course, just what they did with Jesus, just what they've done with the prophets, men of God. And that's their best solution they can come up with. Get rid of them, kill them. And this was one of their own. This was one of the guys that was leading that. He was about as much zealous that you could possibly be for that cause. And you can see what a change, right? Wow. So, uh, it's it's just like they were saying, don't confuse me with the facts, (laughs) ma'am. 
I've made up my mind. We've made up our minds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people are um, definitely um, in love with this Christianity. Many, many thousands by now, many, many thousands are in the church. And others are really checking it out. They like this thing that's going on. Well, of course they do. You know, uh, if, if they're not if they're not Christians, they're hanging around to see the show. They're hanging around to get fed, maybe like uh, like in John six, where you had uh, Jesus feeding the thousands there. Um, and so you know, hey, you know, they were taking care of people there. And all the healings going on, and um, so people were uh, in favor of them. So the the Pharisees, and this is what's going to set us up for the next section, have to, or the Sadducees have to be really careful here, and so do the Pharisees, these rulers, uh, because they're going to find themselves in real hot water if they don't watch out. But I, I think it's really interesting that Paul's in Damascus and he's he's proven to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. If anybody could bring that forth, it would be Paul, wouldn't it? Of course, I think any Christian should be able to... Uh, we know Jesus did it perfectly. And, of course, the Emmaus disciples, whenever He showed who Jesus was being the Messiah. Um, just trace back a little bit. Um, go back to Psalm 37. Thirty-seven verse uh, twelve through fourteen. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes at him with his teeth. Look at this. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and bent their bow to cast down the afflicted and the needy to slay those who are upright in conduct. They hate the righteous. Anybody who stands for truth and righteousness. Then look at verse 32. The wicked spies upon the righteous and seeks to kill him. They take it all the way to the point of death. And boy, how true that has been. All the way through biblical history, all the way through New Testament time and church history, right? And so there it is. Look at Matthew now. Matthew 10, verse 21. That was come out of the Old Testament a little bit here in uh, Matthew's Gospel. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. Talking about being for being Christians in, in, in the family. You'll be hated by all because of my name. But as the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. Look in John 5.16. A few passages right out of John. So many times Jesus tells them what's going to happen. In 5.16 For this reason the Jews were persecuting Jesus because He was doing these things on the Sabbath. He was healing and He healed a paralytic man there. And of course they're persecuting Jesus right there. Chapter 7, verse 32 
The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priest and the Pharisees sent officials to seize him. So, when they see the crowd going after him, they get so jealous, and we know that even very early on they wanted to kill him. 8.59, Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. There they are, they were going to stone him to death. Chapter 10, verse 31. This went on and on, didn't it? Not just a few times. The Jews picked up stones again to stone Him. Why? Because He claimed to be God. He was equal with the Father. And that, to the Jewish mind, was saying that He was God, which is exactly what it is. And there they are. They're they're getting ready to do a stoning. How How could they miss? But it's not the time. Chapter 11, verse 57. This is the resurrection of... uh, Lazarus chapter, and then at the uh, the end of it, they uh, they plot to kill him there. Pharisees do. We have a a man walking around who had been dead, and he's alive again. Lazarus. Now the chief priest and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he was to report it, so that they might seize him. He was always getting out of their grasp. Ever notice that? This is our supernatural Jesus Christ. So, quite an exciting thing. Um, Christianity can really make waves, and it can sure bring hostility uh, to people. It it makes a ripple, doesn't it? There's an influence that the gospel does, and and yeah, it it creates problems, and even amongst families, it, it said even there. It's, a, it's convicting enough to make men mad and it's convicting enough to make men be saved. Aren't you thankful that the Lord got you out of your uh, position that you were in and He softened your heart and drew you to Him? So, we have some violent hostility there in verse 33. I'd say that's violent. They want to kill Him and tend to kill Him. Verse 34 through 40, kind of interesting. To some people, and, and even to me at times, I always thought, this man here, Gamaliel, is quite a wise man in the way that he handled this. But after you really get to looking at it, he's not as wise as you think he is, even though he is the elite, one of the elite teachers, maybe ever in the history of Judaism. Paul happened to have him as a teacher, as a rabbi. It's like that's his seminary teaching. So you can see, God used that. God used the intelligence that Paul had and the study that he had. And so here is this um, great teacher of Judaism. Belongs to the Pharisees. And he has a position here to do something. He's respected by all. He's a teacher of the law. Of course, the Pharisees hold him up in the highest esteem that they can possibly be. He was an Old Testament scholar. Uh, of course, he wasn't a New Testament scholar. That's the problem. <laughs> um, but he says, here we go, we'll read this. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in the council, and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you propose to do with these men. 
For some time ago, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody and a group of about 400 men joined up with him. But he was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished and all those who followed him were scattered. So, in the present case, I say to you, Stay away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, or else you may even be found fighting against God. Now granted, a lot of that's good, but we'll get to the point of what, where he falls really short. Okay, setting this up, stands up in the position that he has. He has people on his side, all the people, Definitely the Pharisees. Probably some Sadducees even like him. But there is a problem. He is a Pharisee who does believe in the resurrection. The Sadducees don't. And the Sadducees are going to have to listen to what he says because they're not in a position they can do a whole lot because they're going to be in real trouble with the people and maybe even the Pharisees. Uh, This comes across very theological... Um, but really it's probably not so much theological as it is political with what uh, Gamaliel's doing possibly. He's a teacher of the law. In the Talmud, to show you the high esteem that he has, that's the Jewish writings. They call him Gamaliel the Elder and Rabban, which is not even like rabbi, you would think, okay, that's related to rabbi. In a sense it is, but it goes much further than rabbi. There are only seven men, only seven eminent teachers in Israel who were named Rabban. And he was the first one who ever got the title. So you see the esteem that he has. He was the greatest teacher of his day. He was a grandson of Hillel, who was another great, great teacher. So... um, there were two branches of Phariseeism, and Hillel had one. His was on a little more on the uh, liberal wing. Uh, heritage is good. This Gamaliel is very sharp. He is very noble. He had studied uh, um, Greek literature. He knew the culture of the day. He's very advanced. The law was a beauty to him. He knew the law. And he, there was probably no more reverence for the law and purity of it than what he had. And the funny thing is, it's, I think it's mentioned by um, Josephus, who was a historian later, said after he died, there was never that kind of purity uh, and abstinence uh, that he had really influenced at that time. And so when he died, Josephus said everything went with him. So we know that this man definitely wanted to live out the law. I mean, if anybody looked godly, it was this guy. Um, He's a Pharisee. On the other end of the Pharisees, um, on the other side of the pole, are the Sadducees, the political end and such. Uh, They were very influential. We know about the Sanhedrin. That's the Supreme Court. This is the council. That's what they're made up mostly of, of your uh, Sadducees. The people liked the Pharisees. 
they didn't really respect most of the Sadducees. The people as a whole liked the Pharisees. And uh, so, because of the popularity of the Pharisees, the Sadducees would kind of give in to the demands of the Pharisees because of their popularity. So the Pharisees would kind of win out on, on a lot of things. And the people liking the Christians and liking the Pharisees Okay, what you have here is the people are liking this because they have an instant Medicare going on. <laughs> and it's free. And you get healed perfectly. <laughs> I mean, you go home, you're already, you know, you're healed, you don't have any more problems. <laughs> yeah. So if you get sick, go find Peter. Uh, you need a meal? Go find Peter and the apostles. Very popular. Very, very popular. So, uh, you got quite the political thing happening here. Uh, the prestige that's going on with Gamaliel and also the Pharisees along with the people. And so the Pharisees have somewhat control of the Sadducees um, because of the love of the people. Sadducees have to be careful, real careful. And so you got this guy, Gamaliel, and he's saying, hey guys, let me give you some advice. Don't act too fast. Be really cautious here. You need to use wisdom. Be careful. And you know what? That's pretty wise. That's pretty good. Got to like that. We can accept that. Um, matter of fact, he being a Pharisee, it was like somebody has titled them, they were kind of like the pre-Calvinist <laughs> in that they believed in a sovereign God. God is going to handle everything. Now, that sounds pretty good, right? Sovereignty of God. Um and so he uses that. He's saying, you know, this is of God. God's going to bless this. If it's not a God, God's not going to bless it. He says, okay, I'm going to give you a couple of illustrations. Doesn't really draw from Scripture here. He's drawing from something they knew, some experiences and things that happened. That's, that's pretty good, though. Um, I think what he's saying as he gets down at the end of this. Verse 38. So in the present case, I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. Action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it's God, you will not be able to overthrow them or else you may even be found fighting against God. What he's saying, whatever succeeds is of God. Whatever fails is not. That's a good principle, and ultimately that's what's going to happen. But in this world, that's not always the case. If you start thinking about it, um, there's a lot of success out in the, even in the religious realm today. That's not Christianity. Uh, If you want to see numbers, you want to see big numbers, you want to see money and whatever, um, that's, that's the case, you know. The Sanhedrin. Um, big time group they're leading the the court they're leading a a lot of the political angle of the day so uh, they weren't of God were they? but it sure looked like they were must have been of God look at the the uh, respect that they get they're leading the nation but that's not of God and the Pharisees are not of God 
but it's sure like like they had a blessing. So if it's of God, then uh, it's it's going to have success. That's not always the case. Um, how about all the success that happens? Let's say with Christian Science, pretty successful. They have reading rooms. Do they still have that Christian Science reading room here in Jeff? It used to be close to downtown, about a block off high. I think it's gone, isn't it? But that was, uh, you know, you can think of them, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, huge numbers. And, of course, they uh, they keep growing. They're successful. I guess you can say that. Of course, you have to think about the, um, what, close to 500 million Muslims. Boy, if you want to look at numbers and uh, success, I mean, they are extreme, extremely radical. And, of course, they uh, want to take over the world. You have three... Yeah, sorry. On the news tonight, they were just showing how the radical Islamic fundamentalist activists and all that are taking back over Iraq. So it's going back to, you know, or probably mm-hmm. even worse than it was before we went in there doing them, you know, as a country to help them, supposedly help them. Uh, so, you know, it's like the whole thing just, the virus still keeps spreading. You know, you know, so. So. They're like a mange. Yep. <laughs> just yeah, it's spreading all over Iraq now again. Of course, it's going to happen in Afghanistan again too. We're not going to change these people. That's huge growth. Ishmael is always going to be a wild donkey kicking. That's what the Bible says. And we're not going to make peace with them, are we? <laughs> they never have, and never will. Hinduism. 395 million. That's pretty big numbers. Going to the east. Confucianist, 350 million. 250 million Buddhist. 100 million Shinto Taoist. Um, there's like a billion atheist, or what you could say, we could think of communist and such. A um, lot of successful movements. I mean, if you want to look at numbers, you know, and, and the way the world uh, defines success. And God hasn't anything to do with them. They're not of Christianity. They're not of Christ. And so if we go by that philosophy, uh, if it's God, if, it's, if, if this is part of God, then they'll have success. And they'll, they'll survive. If it's not of God, then it'll, it'll fuse out. But that's not always the case. And um, it's like, okay, what are you looking for, Gamaliel? Mm-hmm. Didn't you see that everybody got healed? Didn't didn't you know about that, Gamaliel? Uh, have you not heard the gospel preached? Did uh, did you not see or hear about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I'm sure he did, being uh, the the elite religionist of the day. He knew about Jesus. You have to wonder. I'm sure he saw him. I'm sure he probably saw healings or results out of that. Gamaliel, if you're as smart as you think you are, you need to determine something that is true. Let's take our Old Testament and let's go back and see if who they're talking about is truth. Let's check our scriptures. If anybody knows the scriptures, he does. So all of a sudden, Gamaliel's not looking quite as wise as what 
he seemed to be. I'm glad he said what he said in the sense, but I'm sure God can take care of this anyway, of his apostles, because it looked like he's he's saving their lives here. That's, But he's not committing himself to this truth. That's the sad part of this. He should have said, okay, guys, what we need to do, and I like his, his thought on here, um, let, let's take care what you propose to do with these men. Okay, and he, he uses the examples of Theodos and, and Judas. And uh, by the way, he didn't give the full truth on Judas of, of Galilee. Um, I think that was Judas. Uh, yeah. Because he didn't give you the full truth. He wasn't quite honest. Now here I get to bring up the word zealots. Okay? <laughs> we have some zealots sitting here tonight. Okay? Did you ever read about the zealots in the Bible, right? The zealots are these super nationalistic people, right? But these guys are zealots for Christ. So I'm not getting that confused, I know. But people believed in isolation of Israel. And that's what the zealots were about. That was another political group. And they grew out of Judas's rebellion. So it didn't die out with Judas. He just kind of stopped there. Even though Judas died out, the rebellion continued on with the people. So he kind of gave a half-truth there. Good examples, but he didn't fill in with everything else there. It did continue to go. <laughs> yeah, just... Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Had a, and then had a whole group of people then... They were following him, and that even though he died, the what they believed in lived on. And so you, of course, we know about during the time of Christ and the zealots were there. And of course, they they continued on for quite some time. You had a lot of rebellion going on. Um, let's turn to Matthew twelve verse thirty. I kind of like some things that he did there. It sounds like he's doing something really wise, but when you really think about it, as far as eternity is concerned, what he should have done, if he is the leader of the Pharisees and the greatest teacher, why doesn't he say, you know what, we need to look at Scripture and let's, let's, let's show where they are wrong, if he really believes that. But he didn't go into Scripture. Verse, chapter 12, verse um, 30 He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. It's talking about middle ground. Either you're with Christ or you're not. You're either or. There's no in-between. And, of course, Jesus says that. And Pharisees have been blaspheming the Holy Spirit there. And, boy, he came off with a very convicting line there, didn't he? Go to Luke chapter 24. Gamaliel really wasn't with Jesus, was he? He didn't want to see violence. That is true. I'm glad he didn't. Luke 24, verse 25. Remember this? Emmaus disciples. And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah, the Christ, 
to suffer these things and to enter into His glory? Wasn't it necessary that the Messiah suffer? It's in your book. It's in your scrolls. It's the whole Old Testament. Yes, He has to suffer. People missed that. Even the apostles did. Verse 27, Then beginning with Moses, of all the prophets, the law and the prophets, He explained to them the things concerning Himself in all the Scriptures. Now, if Gamaliel is one of the elite teachers, he should have known these things. Well, um, that makes me think of... um, Who's the Mormon guy that is real popular? Who's the Mormon (laughs) guy that's real popular and he's in the media? And... um, Glenn Beck. Oh, yeah. You know, there's a guy who's real smart and outspoken and and kind of a peacemaker in his style and you know very favorable. Christians and, loving and, and yeah. you know and says that he's a Christian just as much as any other Christian is a Christian <laughs> and all these things. And yet he's you know doesn't believe in the truth. Right. But he would be a type that would be sure. like this, you know, a diplomat or a, a you know, pacifist or you know, say, Hey, come on, let's let them be them and be us and da 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 da. Yep. So you got you always got some that are in this you know, that are like this. Uh, another one I was thinking of that's kind of a current guy is uh, um, another one. Huh? No. <laughs> I can't say that one. Uh, no, but because I'm trying to think of ones whose theology is really bad. Um, but, but they would they be would accepted be of Jesus yeah, they or would be considered, um, Well, even the Pope, for yeah. that matter, you know, uh, you know, uh, and this one that's that's up there now, you know, and he's he's like the, you know, take the bubble off of the off of the little gizmo that I ride around in, man, because I'm going to interact with the people. Pope Mobile. And, you know, so he's getting to be Joe-friendly with everybody. But, you know, theology's all messed up. And uh, so there's a lot of, always, I guess, you know, different thinkers that would probably... Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah, very good example. Those guys are always there, aren't they? Uh, Oprah. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Ones that have influence, a lot of influence, and they they are moral in their talk and in their maybe even their behaviors. Exactly. Uh, you know, I know a lot of Mormons who are very moral people. Very, you, know, you look at them and go, man. Well, don't you? Th- and well, and you've heard probably a lot of quote Christians that just adore people like that. Yeah. They could be Christians, but right. they're not very discerning of how far the, exactly. their theology really goes yeah. and who they really believe and what they truly yeah. believe. Um, Bill O'Reilly was another. Oh yeah, he wrote he's a book. Kind of controvert- you know, he stirs up stuff. He's more than probably settled. But he'd be on the favor of, of Christians if they were being persecuted the, or something, yeah, wouldn't he? Yeah, conservative. Yeah. So anyway, you know, that's just my point there that we always have these kind of voices there. 
and they're respected people. Yeah. People know them, and yeah. they think highly of what they say. And in the secular realm, this, that's you know that's probably as high as you go. Yep. And then, of course, you brought out a, a, a religious elite, being the Pope. And yeah. Of course, there are probably many others that would yeah. fit into that mold. Yeah, exactly. Well, in in Second Corinthians six, now this is a quote, and it's really a quote out of uh, the Isaiah, and but we see it in the New Testament. I think you'll also see it in Hebrews, I believe it is. For he says, At the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now, today is the day of salvation. That is the message that has been given that Gamaliel should have responded to. Today is the day of salvation. Yeah, that was in his Bible, right? Yeah, that was right out of Isaiah. He <laughs> exactly right <laughs> well, in his Bible. Like, just like when Jesus opened up the Isaiah scroll and <laughs> said, "This is fulfilled in your hearing." You know what? Like, yeah. yeah. Yep. Very true. Well, he applies, I guess, what you could say is some poor theology even though it sounds favorable, uh, quite the teacher. And Paul definitely was able to get some things off. And I'm sure that's how Paul was able to use so many Scripture later that Gamaliel never ever did put into application. Yeah. Don't you wonder if he ever had talks about this Jesus when he was Saul and then whether he went back and spoke with Gamaliel later? You know, wouldn't that be that's a good point. To... I have no. to think that he had to go look him up. It makes you wonder. Now we're just playing with it. I think he would have been really intent on that, at least, you know, permitted or whatever. That's right. Well, as a result, they did take his advice and they don't kill him. (laughs) So, hey, all right. God uses this, right? And after calling the apostles in, they flogged them. Now that sounds like they took. um, like feathers or something, you know, a couple of reeds and just kind of... <laughs> 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 Slap the hand. A flogging <laughs> is the 39 stripes. Huh? Yes. It's what Jesus experienced. The Mishnah says a guy would take the hands of the person, strap him to the two posts, then he'd strip his shirt off of him, and then there was a stone set behind the, the man or in front of the man which the guy stood and he had to swing all, all with his might uh, that whoever was going to strike him. And so he had to wrap that leather around his hand as he's getting ready to take him, you know. And it would go from his waist all the way down to the ground. So this thing's pretty long. And of course, it's going to go strapping around the body. And of course, you've seen the pictures of it. Uh, two-thirds of the stripes would be in his, on his back and a third of them would be on the front. And um, every one of the believers um, there that was part of that, uh, after the apostles, after calling the apostles in, they flogged them. That's what they did, the 39 stripes. One, one short of the 40, as it's stated in Deuteronomy. You probably heard that, Deuteronomy 25. That's what they did. So it wasn't just a nice little gentle little rebuke and get on out of here. Uh, this, was, this was pretty horrible. But we see how God convicts the sinners 
such as the Pharisees and Sadducees and then Gamaliel and then look at the actions here of these men of God. So they went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing after they had been beaten. They had been considered worthy to suffer shame for His name. They got that flogging that Jesus had had. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Went out and said, Boy, just to be worthy to have suffered for Christ. What a joy. Galatians 6.17 They bore in their body the marks of Jesus. They literally did. These blows actually were meant for Jesus because that's really who they hate. They were standing in His place. They are the blows that Jesus takes, but they are standing in His place taking the blows meant for Him and all His honor. They were considered worthy to suffer. That is incredible. It's hard to understand. They just kept on preaching and teaching. That's exact. What else would you do? Right? Kept on preaching and teaching. Well then, we go on to chapter 6. Well, right at the end of yeah, 41. Suffer shame for His name. And, and every day in the temple and from house to house. They go right back to the temple again. Remember? They did that before. Got arrested again. Go right back to the temple. And house to house. They kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Messiah. As the Christ. And we'll just kind of roll into 6 and, and we'll cut here pretty shortly. But it, it kind of goes in with chapter 5. See how it's all set up? Satan hasn't been doing too well with his persecution. He has different ways to attack. Persecution from outside. Then he tried to get him from the inside where he had Ananias and Sapphira's and of course the Lord took care of that immediately. And so he said, hmm. And this is the third way that he tries it. Tries to get disunity. A little fight maybe going amongst the Christians. He can use that. You've got to remember the Spirit of God is here. And it says in chapter 6, verse 1, Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, thousands, thousands, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve apostles summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit. Yay. There's a true zealot, right? And Philip, there's another one. Prochorus. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And as these they brought before the apostles, and after praying they laid their hands on them, and the Word of God kept on spreading. The number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Wow. Spirit of God. Multiplied greatly. We've already seen thousands. 
Now I'm saying who knows. It, it might be up to 30,000 by now. Who knows? And it's kind of hard to organize when you have that many people. And they're going around to various houses. They're going from house to house. People are having to tell where is going to be what. We're going to have this Bible study over here. Over here we're going to have this tomorrow. And you got to have this kind of organized. And uh, money and goods were being distributed. And food. Remember they were bringing money and whatever they needed. Whatever people needed. And it was being distributed. And I mean, the Spirit of God was flowing amongst the life of the body. Well, some people are being kind of felt left out here. It's the Hellenistic Jews. These are Christians, but they're Greek cultured. They have been living out in the Greek cities. They didn't come from Jerusalem there. They're, they're Jewish and they're Christians. But the ones who are true Jewish Christians live in Jerusalem. <laughs> Or in Judea, you know. And so maybe they just kind of ignored them a little bit. Uh, evidently, that's uh, there's a, a complaint that uh, the widows aren't being uh, served the food. We need to bring this attention to you. And uh, we know the apostles taught. The apostles ruled. And I'm sure that they were giving out orders for people to do whatever was happening because if we're talking multiples, it's being multiplied. I mean, thousands and thousands. My, you're going to have to have some people kind of getting things going. And so there's kind of an organizational crisis here in chapter 6. And uh, it, it gets going pretty good, though. A congregation that large, physical needs and caring for the poor and the elderly, the widows, everybody else. The apostles were really stuck with most of this these duties. And it's large. Well, the thing is, is that they have to teach the Word of God. And they're studying too. You know, they're, they're, they're studying and they're praying and look what's happening, what, what's going on. And baptisms are happening and you've got to have people hand out towels or whatever, you know, get them dried off. We're going to meet over here at this mikvayot and this mikvayot and we're going to have them over there. And uh, yeah, How about the elements for the Lord's table? You know, they're not going to be able to have time to, you know, bake the, the, uh, the bread and... Um, get together the fruit of the vine and everything. Moses had a similar issue, didn't he? What's that? Moses did. Yeah. Similar. Exactly. Yeah, his father-in-law. Thing that uh, where he needed to to get some help. Exactly. Everybody was coming to him with the questions. He was doing everything. Yeah. He can't do that, Moses. That, that's not going to work. So it's it's time that uh, you get other people in action, and of course, what Satan would like to do is. He'd like to begin to work in that and mess them up. Uh, persecution isn't working out too good. And um, the sinning Christians who are polluting the fellowship, that's kind of shaped up a little bit. And So here, here's this way that he uh, attacks. And, uh, you know, a little friction. The minority number here are the, uh, the Greek uh, Christians, Jewish ones there. And the Jewish custom was to take care of the poor. They, they, that's what they really prided themselves on doing. And the apostles say, hey, listen, we don't have the time to do all of this. We need some men to do these things because we are really here for the purpose of preaching and prayer. And that's really what pastors are about. 
usually people think pastors are to do everything. Go out and do this and do that and make the visits here and there and the pastor does that. That is not biblical at all. Huh? Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. But, you know, you'll notice they say right here that that we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word, and no matter what, that's what we're going to do. By the way, this is how you get the word diakonos entering in, because you will see serving. You go serve the people, and we will minister the Word. Well, it's the same word. Diakonos, diakonos. You serve the people, we'll serve the Word. You minister to the people, we'll minister the Word. Right? So that's really how that kind of got started. And a lot of people will use this uh, section for deacons. It's not a bad text. I think if you go into Timothy, you probably see more detail. But they, this uh, diakonos, it means simply to be a table waiter, to wait on tables. And that's what they did. They, they went to these widows and they, they took care of them, made sure they had the food. Uh, and you'll notice who they picked. Uh, they picked these... Um, these Greek men, you'll see these names that they have, like Philip and Prochorus and Nandor and no, <laughs> Nicholas, right? Um, the requirements are found here, and, and we'll, we'll close there. But I, I think it's really good. You'll notice, okay, select from among you. So they're going to be amongst the people. They don't have to go out somewhere and find somebody to come in. They're already there. They're going to take the people that are in in their their fellowship there. Well, of course, that's the only place it was at that time. But, um, what's that? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. That's good. <laughs> Stevens list or. And you'll notice they're also men. Uh, nothing against women here at all, but and and women have had their place in ministry. And of course, you look at Dorcas and Lydia and Phoebe and Priscilla, and God used women. Uh, women are to instruct the younger women and teach them how to stay at home. You know, you get that in Titus too, and love their husbands and be uh, that way. And they have a great responsibility. Raise up kids. And so there's a lot of things, but in, in historically, all down through the church age, Old Testament, New Testament alike, as far as teaching the the people, uh, the congregation and such, that's uh, left up to the men. It says, choose these men, these men of God here, uh, of good reputation, um, full of the Spirit and wisdom. That's, well, you have to have that, right? They have to be full of the Spirit, full of God's wisdom. And... Um, of course, uh, who who are they? Well, they're people that are actually chosen uh, by the congregation. Uh, I think you've got the apostles involved here, but the it, they find approval with the whole congregation. They respected them. They know who they were. They know that these these men were very godly men, and they weren't going to be on the take or anything. They were there for one reason. So they're uh, chosen by God. Chosen. Probably apostles help there, but they're chosen by the church, and they go get to go to their people. And of course, you see the results out of all of that. Uh, these men that are among them with good reputation, filled with the Spirit, filled with wisdom, and uh, people identify with them, and they're laid on hands by the apostles. Recognize who these guys are. They're saying, 
These guys are good. These guys are the ones that go out. And you see the result, verse 7. The Word of God just kept on spreading. number of the disciples continued to increase. Call them disciples at that time. Continued to increase, as you said, greatly in Jerusalem. They're still in Jerusalem. That's where they're at. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. I like that word there. Becoming obedient to the faith. They were proven that Jesus was the Messiah. And as a result of that, faith works. Does that make sense? Faith does work. Show me your faith. right? But faith comes first. And then the actions. And of course, that's what happens. There was an obedience. And these priests, all of a sudden, that's not necessarily saying the, the high priest, the chief priest, but it is saying that these, uh, some of, many of them, had become Christians. And I guess they realized that uh, they didn't need to uh, go into the temple and be the priest to the people by sacrificing anymore. It was already done. The Word of God did that, didn't it? The Word of God turns people. It turns people like Paul, turns these priests who had been against Who knows? Some of those priests might have been the ones that were saying, kill them, kill them, just like Paul was. What a work God does. Holy Spirit is definitely acting there, isn't He? So the responses, and it's really up to the Holy Spirit who's going to soften the hearts, but man is responsible with what he does with the truth that's been given to him. So there you have both sides. Thank you guys for coming out tonight. By the way, let's uh, we, we have let's see, first of all, we had a happy anniversary yesterday from Janice and Eldon, number thirty six. Thirty six years. That is a testimony to people saying God can keep marriages together. And it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? You wouldn't trade any of it, would you? Well, some of it, no. (laughs) And then, back here, Frida and John, 48 years, they've been married. Today, they came out on their anniversary, too. They came out the day after their anniversary. Anyway, it's a privilege and an honor to look at you guys and the Christian marriage that you have and see how God has worked in it. And you're a blessing to all of us. All you guys. Yeah. Matter of fact, thank the Lord for you. Eldon, could you lead us in prayer? Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, for your strength, and your guidance. We ask that we might be witnesses and testimony to your power, your love, and your keeping power. Father, we just commit ourselves to you. We thank you for all you've done in the past and eagerly look forward to what you're going to do tomorrow. Commit ourselves to you and to your work in Christ. Amen. Amen.